Good morning. Hey, welcome to church. Glad you are here with us this morning. Kids, you may be dismissed. Run away. Have fun. You don't want to stay here. Actually, you might want to, but I'm not going to tell you about it till later. Hey, welcome. Glad you are with us. Boy, look, at there's a lot of kids second service. So glad you guys are here this morning. Uh, I get to preach one of the epic passages of Scripture this morning. It is one of the all-time great passages of Scripture. I'm going to try not to mess it up. And it starts with power. What is power? If I ask you what is power, what do you, what do you say power is? Not rhetorical. What is power? What is it? Strength. What else? Somebody else? What's that? It's a hard one to define. Here's what the dictionary says. It's the ability or capacity to perform some act effectively. That's what power is. Power can be used in at least one of two ways. It can be unleashed or it can be harnessed. It can be unleashed or it can be harnessed. How do we measure power? Let me give you a little example here. How do we measure power? This is a candle. And when you light a candle, I take the power from the lighter and I harness it onto the candle. That right there is actually what they call one candle power. Did you know light is measured in candle power? That is one candle power. Uh, if, if we just leave that alone, it will burn. It will continuously burn. We've harnessed the power of, of the fire there and we are generating one candle power. As long as there's not a brisk breeze, we will have one candle power the entire time that I preach, right? Um, On the other hand, though, this is a firecracker. And if you take the same power and apply it to a firecracker, that was cool, huh? Should we do one more? Those of you with sensitive earring, clever up right now. Here we go. If you light a firecracker, whoa, I have unleashed the power. Does that make sense? It's an explosive power in that moment. Now, if I was to take this firecracker and hold it in my hand and, and then light it, come on, people, I'm crazy, not stupid. It's just a fuse. You can see what would happen, right? (laughs) Explosions are spectacular. And sometimes we need an explosion of power. But we also sometimes need this controlled, lasting power. And sometimes you need some of each. We're going to talk about that this morning as we look at Acts chapter 2. If you've got your outline notes, hold on to them, grab them, pull them out. We have a lot of scripture we're going to get through today. So I want you to see that. In the book of Acts... Uh, which Glenn started last week, we are got, the key verse of the book of Acts is actually Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This, this verse encapsulates all of Acts. It shows us where Acts is going. So we're going to read it together here. But you will receive what, people? Power. Say it like you mean it. Power. Power. When the who? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me, where? Like in? Throughout where else? And, and where else? To the very ends of the earth. Here's what I want you to do. Circle, highlight, underline the words power 
and Holy Spirit in that passage. Power and Holy Spirit. See, the whole book of Acts is about the power of the Holy Spirit unleashed. The apostles have been waiting for the Holy Spirit. Glenn talked about this last week. He's been waiting for the Holy Spirit to be unleashed, right? And, and so they, they're waiting for this before they start their mission from God. They've watched Jesus ascend into heaven. They have been praying fervently for this Holy Spirit. They don't know what they're praying for at this point, but they're praying for it. They've replaced Judas as one of the disciples with the guy by the name of Matthias. And then they are just waiting and waiting and waiting. What is this Holy Spirit? How's it going to get poured out? I wonder what they were thinking. You know, they must have been looking at each other saying, what do you think this is going to be? What do you think the Holy Spirit poured out is going to look like? What do you think will happen? They're looking for a sign. And then all at once, get this, the power is turned on. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, it says this, on the day of Pentecost, I'll explain that in a second, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a what? A mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like what? Flames or what else? Tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. This is the moment. This is the moment. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit. The thing that they've been waiting for, right? And this, this supernatural moment. And, and it went a little something like this. Okay, Google, turn on the Holy Spirit. Oh, something went wrong. Are you kidding me? A wind rushes through this house, okay? It's going everywhere. It's blowing through the house. And they're like, what is happening right now, okay? And then, and then, get this, um, for safety reasons, uh, Holy Spirit, turn off. Sorry, something went wrong again. Thank God I've got a button. And then, get this, what descended upon them was like tongues of fire. Get this. That was cool. You want to do one more of those? (laughs) Ah, shucks, I'm out. That's my entire special effects budget for the year, people. So, you know, stick with me here. But I can only imagine the holy, you know, these disciples are looking around. The wind is blowing, the tongues of fire descending. And they're like, do you think any of them were like, I don't know. You think this is it? You think this is it? No, they were like, this is it, this is it. It's happening right now. This has got to be the Holy Spirit. This is crazy. And this power came upon them at exactly the right time. God is such a strategic God. It's so cool. See, the Pentecost thing, that word Pentecost means 50. It's 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. That's why we call it Pentecost. It's 10 days after Jesus has ascended to heaven. But get this, it happens exactly at a time the Jewish festival of weeks was happening in Jerusalem. So all these people had gathered from all these different regions, Jews from all over, had descended upon Jerusalem, and and they were getting ready for this festival. And so we have this multicultural gathering, and, and it's the perfect place to proclaim the gospel and pour out the Holy Spirit and give birth to the church. God is such a strategic God, we see it over and over again. But get this, the power didn't just come, the power also filled up. It filled up these disciples. And so we're going to look at that in Acts 2, starting in verse 4. It says it like this. And everyone present was what? 
filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from basically everywhere, every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were what? They were like, what is going on right now? To hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely what? Amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galt. I mean, Galilee, Galilee, I'm sorry. Um, But they're like, what is going on? These are not people from my hometown. How in the world can they speak this language? And the power of the Holy Spirit filled these believers there. Now, this is interesting to me because when Jesus told them the coming of the Holy Spirit was coming, he used this unique term. He said that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, verse 5, it says, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So this is one important thing that I think we need to keep in focus with Pentecost. Pentecost was an explosion of power, okay? It was this moment unlike any other in history. It was when the Holy Spirit first came onto the scene, was given to believers, and it's been like that ever since. It was this watershed, groundbreaking moment for the Holy Spirit, right? It was an explosion of power, and they were being... Uh, the Spirit, but we would see the Spirit gets poured out again and again. They get filled up again and again throughout the book of Acts. I think sometimes we like to think that the church uh, happened in a committee meeting. Like somehow the disciples got together and they were like, you know what? I think maybe we should start a church. Should we get a strategic plan together? And, and then somebody said, let's hold, hold a vote. And James was like, I make the motion. We start the first church. And John was like, I second it. And, and they said, all in favor say... And those opposed, nay. Yeah, I knew we'd get one nay, right? And it, and it passes 10 to 2 and we started a church. Like, that isn't how it happened. It happened with this explosion of power that nobody could deny, right? And nobody could, and God did this in the most miraculous, explosive way possible, right? And the, but the Spirit filled these disciples again and again. We're going to see it again and again in the book of Acts. And, and we're the same way. Many of us, when you first accept Christ as your Savior, you have an explosion inside of you. Like you feel things you've never felt before. You have a thirst and a hunger for God and for his word and for, and for living the right way in, in, in ways that you have never experienced before. But then those of us who have been Christians a little bit longer, we know there have been moments in our lives where we just needed the Holy Spirit, and filled us up again in a moment where we were desperate for him, in a moment where we had an opportunity, and we did that again and again and again. And here's the thing. You need to be filled again and again with the Holy Spirit. You cannot turn the other cheek without being filled up with the Holy Spirit. You cannot pray for those who persecute you without the Holy Spirit praying inside of you. You cannot uh, overcome things that, that are in your path without the Holy Spirit. And there are times where you're just like, God, fill me up again. Fill me up again. Fill me up again. But this was a very specific miracle for a very specific purpose at a specific time. It's funny to me because when you talk to people about speaking in tongues, they're not talking about this passage, right? The birthplace of speaking in tongues was about communication, these people were speaking languages. They were speaking, uh, they were speaking actual languages as some, uh, it wasn't this crazy inexpressible uh, speaking in tongues, usually in a way that others can't understand. This was not a group of people babbling. This was people that in a way, uh, they were, it would be a little bit like me being able to speak perfect Spanish without any training. 
Pero yo no hablo español. Espera un minuto. Estoy hablando español. Mi hermano. ¿Traducir para mí? Sí. Sí, sí. Wow, realmente estoy hablando español. Mi hermano, ¿puedes? Oh, sí, 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 sí. Ya, se agacho. Vaya, vaya la señora. Oh, man, I'm messing it all up. Dang it. Vaya, si la señora Klein, mi profesora de español, puede escuchar esto. Wow, I, I, I don't... Uh, what? What is it again? <laughs> I, I don't know what my, my Spanish teacher would say if she hear me speaking Spanish. Eso no les que dije. That's not what I, that's not what I said. Me, me estás vacilando? A little bit. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, well. Él es siempre suele decir que nunca sería capaz de amar una oración. She would always say to me that I would never be able to even form a sentence in Spanish. <laughs> Supongo que estaban equivocada. I, I, I think she was wrong. Uh, ¿Dónde están los españoles? Where is the bathroom? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Give Tony a hand. For those of you who are actually Spanish speakers, I apologize. That was not good. By the way, I didn't have the ability to speak Spanish. I have the ability to Google Translate for just a little bit last night, okay? Uh, but, but imagine if people stood up and were instantly able to speak a dozen different languages with no training whatsoever. And, and it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 12, it says it this way. It says, they stood there, amazed and perplexed. And what did they say? What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, what? They're just drunk, that's all. I, I, I love this passage of scripture. There are two responses when people heard this miracle. There were two responses. Some people were confused. And this is what they said. What in the world's going on here? What does this mean? What's happening? Right? The other response was some people were closed off. And they basically said, these guys are drunk. Like, they're drunk. But get this, then Peter steps to the podium. And he basically does this. The power is poured out through Peter. Watch this. The power is poured out through Peter. Now, let me just tell you something about preaching sermons. Preaching sermons week in and week out is an interesting theme. There's really nothing else like it. And there's really nothing else like the challenge of speaking to the same audience week in and week out and trying to come up with fresh content and, and make it creative and engaging every single week. And Glenn and I struggle with it every week. How do we do this in such a, a way that it makes it relevant to you? And, and it's challenging. I don't, I don't know how else to explain, uh, to explain it. But can I tell you this? Without the Holy Spirit, we don't stand a chance. In fact, if you ever watch me on a Sunday morning, I will come over here as Dane or Ian are praying. You probably don't see me because you got your, your heads bowed. But I stepped my foot onto this first step right here. And, and uh, this was given to me a while ago by a mentor and a friend who, who basically said, you know, as you take that first step up on the stage, I pray a prayer that goes something like this. Holy Spirit, I cannot do this without you. These are just words on a page. This is just, I'm, I mean, your scripture is alive and true, but, but the stuff that I put together, I got nothing without you, Holy Spirit. So when I step onto this, when I step onto this step, I'm stepping into your spirit. I'm stepping into your power. I'm stepping into your anointing, and I'm going to step into it, and you are going to take over because I don't have anything to offer without the Holy Spirit. 
I don't have anything to offer without the Holy Spirit. And so that's what I do. And any preacher who has ever done this knows what I'm talking about. Charles Spurgeon was once called the Prince of Preachers. He, uh, he pastored a church a long time ago in England, and uh, basically he was known as the Prince of Preachers. And he felt one Sunday that he delivered his sermon so poorly that he said he was ashamed of himself. By the way, been there, done that, felt that, okay? He felt ashamed of himself. And uh, as he walked away from church, the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, he wondered how any good could come from that message. And when he got home, he dropped to his knees and prayed, Lord God, you can do something with nothing. Bless that poor sermon. I might be saying that later. We'll just find out, okay? Uh, and, and the funny thing is, in, in the months that followed, in the weeks and months that followed, the reports would come back that 41 different people had said they had trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior as a result of that message. 41 different people. A week later, Charles Spurgeon came back. And he said to make up for his failure, Spurgeon had prepared a great sermon to which no one responded. Anyone who has ever preached has had this experience. There are times, the sermons that I preach that I think are a turd, like a turd burger with cheese, okay? Like they are terrible sermons. People will inevitably walk up afterwards and say, Oh my gosh, Pastor Steve, it's like you were speaking directly to me. It's like you were talk it's like the Holy Spirit was talking directly to me through what you said. And my response was, Huh? Were you there? That was terrible. Right? And they are can I just tell you something? It's not it's not me, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit working in and amongst you and in and in me in, in whatever's going on. And so the The Holy Spirit has got to be present in any sermon for it to have any effect whatsoever. And so Peter stands up, and with this explosive power of the Holy Spirit, he preaches one of the most powerful and greatest sermons of all time. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, Steve, so what, I don't care. I don't ever want to preach a sermon. I don't ever want to stand up there and do what you're doing. I get it. I sort of get jaded because I do this all the time that I just do this. But many people are terrified to step up here and do this. It's called glossophobia. It's the fear of public speaking. About 75% of the general public is terrified to do it. Some people, they're just mildly like, I don't know if I want to do that. Some people would have a full-on panic attack if I asked you to come up here and do it. But here's the thing. I'll bet there is someone in your life. I'll bet there is someone in your life that desperately needs a sermon right now. They need you to tell them. They need to be saved. They need to know Jesus. They need to to walk away from sin. They need to start living in spiritual victory. And someone has to preach that sermon to them, and I probably won't be the person that does it. You will. Doesn't have to last 30 minutes. Doesn't have to happen on a platform. But the people in your life need the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to give you, through the apostle Peter, an explanation on how to preach a powerful sermon. Here's how you preach a powerful sermon. The very first thing you got to do, and we're going to see in Peter's sermon, is explain what happened. Explain what happened. Acts chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, it says it this way. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake, These people are not, they're not drunk, as some of you are assuming. 
Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. This is maybe one of my favorite sermon openers of all time. I know, at about 10.30, you guys are going to be hammered. But right now, you're fine. Like, let's talk about it. Uh, if, you've ever been, if you've been around this church for any length of time, even just in the last few years, you know I try to do something to get your attention at the beginning of the sermon. I turn on a big fan. I light a firecracker. I fly a drone around. I, I, uh, I'll, I'll do all kinds of things to try. I'll dress up. I'll, I'll do anything I can to get your attention, anything to get you interested in what is going to happen up here. And, and you have that opportunity in the people of your life. Peter had a group of guys scattered around speaking 15 different languages and everybody looking at them. And get the, that's the greatest sermon opener of all time, by the way. A whole bunch of people just stand. Anybody speak a foreign language? Where, we got any German in here? Any German? German speakers left over? German in the back of there just pops up and starts speaking German. What other language? You got Spanish speakers? Where are my Spanish speakers? Spanish, Spanish, Spanish speakers over there. By the way, I apologize for the Spanish earlier. Great. Uh, oh, there's some up there. Anybody speak uh, any other language? Cantonese? Any, anything else? Dutch? Uh, Pig Latin? Anyone? Anyone? Okay, Iglatin pay. Okay. Uh, but imagine all those people standing up and just immediately going to town. Everybody would be going, what is going on? I want to know. But Peter stands up and he starts to speak in the common language of the era. He speaks in Aramaic so everybody can understand, right? And he so starts to talk in, 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 in Aramaic. And he says, these people are not under the influence, but they are under the influence. They're under the influence of the Holy Spirit. That's who they're under the influence of, right? And so... Here's the thing. The first thing you got to do when you're going to preach a sermon to someone in your life is get people's attention. you got to get their attention somehow. A, a, a conversation starter. Something that will get them asking questions spiritually. Something that will get their attention. And then explain why it happened. And here we go. We jump into the scriptures here. Acts chapter 2 verse 16. Why did this happen? And Peter explains. Now, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet who? Joel. It says, in the, and he begins to quote Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see what? Your old men will what? You know why old men dream dreams and young men see visions? Old men take more naps. That's all I'm saying. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike. It continues, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. You think he's got their attention at this point? He's got their attention. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who what? Calls on the name of the Lord will be, will be saved. Absolutely. Why are these guys speaking in tongue? Why is this happening? Well, he says because. It was foretold in, in, in Joel, by the prophet Joel. And, and here's the thing. A good sign of any preacher, a good sign of any sermon, is how much do they rely on the word of God? How much do they go back to the word of God? Right? Peter goes right to the authority. He's got the prophet Joel's words. He immediately starts talking about them. That was his scriptures. That's all he had. All he had was the Old Testament. He went right to the authority of scripture. Let me ask you a question. Pull out your outlines. You got your outlines there? Look at your outline. Flip them around front and back. Front and back. Whenever I am putting together a sermon, do you see there's just a few places, a little few fill in the blanks, a couple of little 
little phrases that I've got in there, but what is predominantly on your outline? Scripture. It's all scripture. If there's not enough scripture on this outline, then I'm not doing my job. In fact, I tell Ian some days when I send the, uh, the uh, outline to him, I say, sorry, buddy, you're going to need a smaller font. Because it is our job to point you to scripture, and that's exactly what Peter does. He sends them right to scripture. I don't hope you're impressed with my sermon today. I hope you're impressed with Peter's sermon today. I hope you're impressed with the Holy Spirit's sermon through Peter that came through me, if that makes sense. It's about God's word and that we see God's word. Peter is this passionate follower of Jesus. You remember Peter? He's a numbskull, right? Peter's the guy who, who, who slashes off a guard's ear in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. But Peter's also the guy who denies Christ three times. Peter's nothing special. He's bold, and, 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 but he is stepping up to give his first sermon and you know he had to be filled with the Holy Spirit to do that. Let me tell you, anybody who's ever preached their first sermon will tell you it's nerve-wracking. You remember your first sermon, Glenn? Yeah, I remember mine. I remember uh, I had a youth pastor friend that I was a volunteer for uh, back in San Jose who was getting up to preach his first sermon. We were all fired up for it. We were ready to go. They led the worship set. He got up to preach. And exactly six minutes later, he sat back down. He was done. And we all looked around like, what do we do now? There's a lot of time remaining. That's never happened with me. But you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, so, and, and the reason that this is happening is because the Holy Spirit had filled him just as the prophet Joel had foretold, foretold, just as the Holy Scriptures said. So here's the point. You have got to talk about the Bible at some point when you're preaching a sermon. You've got to get to God's word. You've got to talk about the verses that made an impact on you, the verses that are, that are important to you, where you see God's word come alive for you. How do you give that to someone else? Because if it's just your words, it's not powerful enough. You've got to give them God's words. Okay, so talk about the Bible. And then we're going to see Peter explain how it happened. How in the world did this happen? This whole pouring out of the Spirit and these guys talking crazy. Uh, we know why, because Joel foretold it, but how did it happen? In Acts chapter 2, verse 22, it says this, People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed who? Jesus the Nazarene by doing, first of all, Miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. You've heard the stories. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, who? You nailed him. You nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. How did this spirit get poured out? Well, it's because of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified. By the way, I'm trying to imagine Peter saying, whom you crucified. This is not exactly a seeker-friendly message, if you know what I'm talking about. You know what you, you crucified. You know what you did. Can you imagine? And, but he gives it to him just like that. And he says, that guy, Jesus Christ, rose from the dead. And he's Lord and Messiah. And because he is, he's responsible for the spirit that's been poured out on these men. And Peter goes on to make these bold proclamations about Jesus. If you've got your outlines, do me a favor. He's going to talk about the life of Christ, right? Underline or circle or highlight um, in your text there where it says, God publicly endorsed Jesus of Nazareth by doing wonderful miracles, circle, wonders, circle, and signs through him. He talks about the life of Jesus, the things that Jesus did. He talks about the cross of Christ. 
Underline in your outlines there, you nailed him to the cross and killed him. Circle that. You nailed him to the cross and killed him. Circle that. And then he talks about the resurrection of Christ. Underline on your outlines there. God released him from the horrors of death and, circle, raised him back to life. For death could not keep him in its grip. He's talking about the the life of Christ, the things he did, the, the cross of Christ, the death he endured, the resurrection of Christ that gives us hope and power. And he talked about all those things. Now, in the next few verses, which I would encourage you to read when you have time, I'm sort of shaving it down a little bit so we can be on time. But verses 25 through 31, Peter jumps into uh, talking about King David. King David would have been one of the heroes of the Jewish faith. Obviously, they all knew King David. And he talks about the Old Testament. Again, he's going back to Scripture. He talked about Joel. He's going to quote from Psalm uh, 16. And he begins to talk about how that relates back to Jesus. He's talking about how David was looking into the future and speaking about the Messiah's resurrection when he wrote this. And so he's looking at these words that King David said. But you have to talk about Jesus in a sermon. You have to get to the person of Jesus. And Peter goes back to David and then pushes forward back to Jesus. Listen to Acts chapter 2 verse 32. God raised who? Jesus from the dead and we are all witnesses of this. You saw it. Many of you saw him. Now he is exalted to the place of what? He's in highest honor in heaven. He's at God's what? He's at the right hand of God, and the Father, as he had promised, gave him the what? The Holy Spirit to do what? Pour out upon us just as you see and hear it today. In, in this section here, he talks about the lordship of Christ. If you've got, underline this or circle this. Now he exalted to the place of highest honor. Circle place of highest honor. And he's at God's right hand. Circle God's right hand. Jesus is at the center of any good sermon. Jesus is at the center of any good sermon. I heard somebody once say, uh, a mentor of mine said to me, here's how you preach a sermon. You start with the text that you've been given, and then as fast as you can, you get to the foot of the cross and to Jesus Christ. Because that's what makes a sermon. That's what makes a sermon. A sermon that doesn't have Jesus in it. We could talk about the Old Testament, but we need to see it in light of Jesus. A sermon that doesn't have that is not a sermon. It's a motivational speech. There's nothing wrong with motivational speech. It's a TED talk. Who is TED anyway? Does anyone know who TED is? I don't know who he is. But there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that to be a good sermon, it it, it has to have the Holy Spirit and it has to end up with the person of Jesus. There are tons of truths in the Old Testament. We love the Old Testament around here. We will preach the Old Testament, talk about the Old Testament, but the Old Testament is an unfinished book without Jesus. I ask people all the time, hey, are Jews today still like actively looking for the Messiah? Are they holding auditions? What's, what's going on? But with Jesus, the Old Testament makes sense and it becomes complete and it becomes whole. Acts 2.36 says this, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this who? Jesus, whom you what? Crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. You have got to talk about Jesus in a powerful sermon. You've got to talk about Jesus. And and get this, when you're sharing with someone, you've got to get to the person of Jesus. Who he was in history. who, Who he is to you. What he's done for you, Jesus. Talk about Jesus. And then lastly, and this one's important, you need to explain the options then. Explain the options. Listen to Peter's words. 
It says Peter's words, what did they do? They pierced their hearts. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, brothers what? What should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins. And what else? Turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the? And this promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. And then Peter continued preaching for how long? Oh, Lord, buckle up. Strongly urging all of his listeners, save yourself from this crooked generation. Listen, you guys, just a few more hours to go, okay? I'm kidding. There's a football game. Who are we kidding? Uh, I think this may be the only powerful sermon in the history of sermons without an altar call. Do you want to know why there was no altar call? Because the people themselves were like, what should we do? What do we do about this, right? They asked him, what should we do? Earlier, I told you there are a couple of responses to, uh, to what happened there early on. There's a couple of responses. Some people were confused. What does this mean? Some people were closed off and they said, man, these guys are drunk. But last, there were some people there that were converted. And they said, what should we do? And here's the thing that I think we fall short on a lot of times in evangelical Christianity. You've got to give people a chance to respond to the Lord. You've got to actually say to them, what do you want to do with this information? I've told you about this Jesus and the difference he's made in my life. I've told you about, about how it's changed me. And you have to tell people, you have an option now. What are you going to do with this? You can continue to live the way you've been living. How's that working for you? Or you can give them Jesus and power in their life and the Holy Spirit and the promise of eternity and salvation. These are the options. Which is it? What would you like? See, I think too often people get caught up in these deep religious conversations and they start talking about, well, God and, 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 and theology and, and maybe even church and some other things, eternity, but they never get to the point where they ask the person, would you like to accept Jesus as your Savior right now? Can I tell you something? After first service, I had a lady come up to me and she said, I really need to talk to you. And we went outside into the lobby there and we sat in front of that fire and I had a conversation with her and she talked about her faith journey and specifically her hang up with Jesus and I got to share a couple of verses and then I had to do what I had just preached a few minutes earlier and I said, would you like to ask Jesus to be your savior right now? And she said, yes, I would. We've got to be bold enough to ask that question. Underline in your text there, ready? Must turn from your sins and must turn to God. There's two things. You've got to be repent and be baptized. If you're sitting in here this morning and you've been, maybe you're being stirred by the Holy Spirit right now, here's what you have to do. Repent. Repent means to turn away from the old sinful life you've had and then follow God. And one tangible way to do that is to be baptized I had a conversation with another gal this week who was ready to be baptized. She said, I want to be baptized. I'm so ready to be baptized, Steve. I said, great. We're going to talk about it. We're going to get you a time. Some of you here today, it's time for you to take the, 
take the plunge. It's time for you to say, I want to be identified as a Christian. It's time for you to get baptized. If that's you today and the Holy Spirit is stirring in you, you need to bring it to us and we will get a baptism service together and get it going to make a difference in your lives. We would love for you to do that. Um, But our church has got to be a church and we have got to be people that constantly ask people, are you ready to follow Jesus? Are you ready to follow Jesus? Do you want God in your life today? There's an often quoted story that illustrates this point a little bit. It's a, it's a story about um, the, the pool system in New Orleans. In New Orleans, the, the pool system, the public pool system where the lifeguards worked, they had a summer where they had had zero drownings. It was the first in many, many years where they didn't have anyone die to drowning. And to celebrate that, they had a party. And so they had a party around one of the public pools. They invited several hundred people, dignitaries and, uh, and, and lifeguards. There was over a hundred lifeguards at this party. And they were having a party. There was food. There was music. There was uh, all kinds of stuff. And so this party went on the entire time. At the end of the party, as the four lifeguards who were in charge of the pool began moving people out of the pool, in the deep end of the pool was a fully dressed man who had drowned at the deep end of the pool during their party. Here's the point of that story. We cannot be the kind of church that gets around and talks about life-saving and doesn't do anything while people drown right next to us. You've got to be willing to ask people, would you like Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? Would you like to invite him into your life? Ask, do you want to turn to God? Do you want to turn to God right now? Like, do you want to turn to God right now? Which leads me to... Do you know Peter never had to prompt the crowd to do that? They naturally said, what should we do? Anybody? Thank you. Three of you. What should we do? I I love this because we know how this story ends, right? In Acts, at the very end of this passage, it says this. Those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about how many? 3,000 and all. Now, I'm a geek, I'm a nerd, and I think about these things. After Peter got up and preached this little sermon for a little while, I mean, it says he preached on a little bit longer, but after all of that, they began baptizing people. 3,000 people had to be baptized. If all 12 disciples were baptizing people at the same time, and they could do one person every two minutes, let's say, get them in, get them out, or do you want to dunk up, out, to, to, that's six a minute, six a minute, okay? You could do six a minute. To baptize 3,000 people means they had a baptism service that lasted eight and a half hours. Hours. Eight and a half hours of baptizing people after that, right? Here's the thing. Are you waiting for some power to come into your life? Do you need a little power, some sustaining power? Do you need an explosion of power in your life, in your walk with God? Are you right now feeling powerless, powerless against the world, powerless against temptations, powerless to fight back in the struggles of your life. The burdens of your life are running over you and you're feeling powerless. That power is available to you. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that will dwell inside of you. And all you have to do is surrender to him and give, that, give him the power to run your life. That is the power that's available to you today. And so many Christians are walking through life without that power. I don't know why. It's available to you. But here's the thing. There's somebody here today, at least I've been praying there's somebody here today, that right now the Holy Spirit is, is just shouting inside of you. And you've heard Peter's words, and maybe for the first time you're understanding this Jesus and this Holy Spirit that wants you 
to embrace a life with him. And I want to ask you a simple question. Do you want to follow Jesus today? Listen, would you just bow your heads wherever you're at this morning? And um, If you are out there right now and you know who I'm talking to and the Holy Spirit is welling up inside of you, And you know you need to invite Jesus into your heart right now. You need to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. If that's you right now, wherever you're sitting, would you just slide up your hand, let me see you, make make eye contact with me. If there's somebody that wants to make that decision. Back there. Father God, I thank you so much for the opportunity, God, to preach your word. It's so full of power, God, and your Holy Spirit that's poured out on us, Father. I pray for those that are, that are wrestling with a powerless life, those that need to preach a sermon to somebody in their life, God, that you would move in them and that you would give them the tools and the scriptures and the, and the impetus to go and, and have that conversation with the people in their life. God, we, we need people who are willing to preach this sermon to the people in their life. Father God, I pray that you give us the boldness to do that, Father. That you would lead us to the right scriptures, God, and that we would ask, do you want to follow Jesus today, God? May your Holy Spirit give us that power. May your Holy Spirit well up inside of us and fill us with your spirit that we might ask that again and again to a lost and hurting world. In your son Jesus' name we pray, amen.